often been said that opportunity sometimes just knocks once. But we've been fortunate enough to have it to knock several times and offer us some great and wonderful things. Everything that we need is available to us. Now, it's going to be a little longer tonight, so if you're not going to keep your mind where it ought to be and you're going to be in a hurry to go, then I'm not going to start in. Amen? How many are going to stay with me? Amen. Because what I have to say is important, not because I'm saying it, but because it's God's Word. We are in a spiritual battle. Now, that goes without saying that there is a battle, a struggle inside of us. Struggle between Adam's nature, which is the nature of the devil, and the divine nature, which is the nature of God. Each one struggling for its life, for its existence in us. Each one struggling to control our life. But more importantly, there is a battle in the heavenlies. There's a battle between the forces of evil, demon forces of the enemy and the angels of God fighting to bring to us and to break through this cloud of darkness and demonic forces as Gabriel struggled by himself to bring Daniel an answer that he needed. Those same clouds of darkness and those same resisting enemies are still there to keep us from receiving what we need in our life. And yet God is determined that we receive those things. And so when the clouds are broken up and the principalities of hell are put down and an angel is sent forth into our midst and he makes it here, you realize he's fought a pretty hard battle to get here. Amen. And we ought to appreciate him being here. Amen. We ought to appreciate the fact that he just didn't snap his finger and he was there. Amen. He fought a battle to get here broke through the powers of hell and came down and won that victory that we might have victory ourselves. We've been spending a lot of time on preparing for supernatural warfare or spiritual warfare. I don't feel the church is prepared for that. I don't think we're uh, in a position to fight like that. I think what God is trying to say to us is let's go all the way. I mean, let's just try, quit trying to decide which is what and realize that there was a time when God came to us and let us know that he wanted to save us. Amen? And that he had made provisions to save us through the blood of Jesus Christ. I've never talked to anybody that personally saw the crucifixion of Jesus. So I personally, I would have no way of knowing whether this was the truth or whether it was stories by a bunch of fishermen, other than I tried it one time and I believed it, and I felt the heavy weight and load of sin lifted from my shoulders, and I knew the blood of Jesus Christ had done that. Also, this thing about the Holy Ghost and all that it can bring and this gibberish of speaking in another tongue and all that, <laughs> I mean, a good, common, sane Adam's mind can't handle that. I mean, there's no way we can believe that. Amen. And sometimes when we walk in our carnal flesh, even after we've done it, <laughs> sometimes we begin to wonder, was that really us or was that God? What are, what are we under the influence of anyway? And then we 
realize and know that something changed our life. Something strengthened us when we didn't have any strength. Something gave us power when we didn't have any. And something walked with us when nobody else was there to walk with us. And so we take that by faith in what it changed our life and realize this actually happened. Now God is asking you to go a step further. Either all the Bible is right or none of it is. Amen. Either all of it is true or else forget it. And so God is trying to get us to understand that there are forces that we have never, never really realized. And they're, they're ready to do a job for us. But we're simply going to have to believe that they're there and they're able to do that. And it taxes the sanity of old Adam's mind for us to realize that. I mean, what good, sensible, smart, intellectual individual would ever realize that up there someplace is angelic, unseen forces and they're having war up there on our behalf? Who's going to believe that? Other than the spiritual man, woman, boy, or girl that knows the Bible is true and the Bible talks about that. Amen? So we're going to have to understand that there are forces there that are willing to do battle for us and willing to help us. After spending three and one and a half years with Jesus, hearing his word and seeing his miracles, the disciples were, as we said before, complete flops after Jesus was crucified. They didn't know what to do, didn't know which direction to go, and they went into the upper room and they were filled with the supernatural power and order to fight a supernatural warfare. We've been talking about hierarchies of demon, demon forces. That the devil is not omnipresent. He is not like God. He can't just be everywhere at once. He is limited because he was a created angel. And so he has under his control leaderships. Generals and lieutenants and sergeants or however you want to call them uh, of demonic forces. And we try to get us to understand that is why sometimes that there is a fight and a battle in certain areas of the land that it don't seem like we're just able to win at all. And that's because that the enemy sees something good that is about to come. He knows if we ever, ever break through and ever do what God asks us to do, he knows that he is going to be put to flight and so he fights. And then when we gather forces from God and begin to fight back, he gathers other individual forces, demonic forces, to come and help them. And that's why you feel a breakthrough sometimes. And then right after that, there is a something weights down. And you wonder, whatever happened to my victory? I know God was there. I know what he did. And I rejoiced in the heavens. And then all at once there's a heavy weight and force. Do you know what's happened? The devil has called in reinforcements. And he is trying to discourage He's trying to put us in depression. He's trying to put us down. Well, God tells us that there is probably how many more angels of God than demon forces? How many fell with the devil? One third. What's that lead? <laughs> Seems like we're in a majority, doesn't it? Hallelujah. We ought to recognize that. So the enemy comes and so he fights. What difference does that make when we got parades of angels and powers to get a hold of to help us to fight in our life? Our problem is we don't believe it enough to put it into action. Amen. That's our problem. 
I mean, we want to. I, I don't think there's an individual here that doesn't really want to settle in on this, but uh, we haven't been used to that. We're used to the Holy Ghost coming down, and we feel a few goosebumps, and, and we feel good about it, and then we go home and right back into the same thing we did when we came. Because some reason or other we don't realize that God comes down to bless us and to keep us. A lot of times when we get a blessing, it's not because we deserved it. It's because there's something ahead of us and God knows it. And He wants to open our eyes to that and make us realize that. And you come to get reinforced. Not just to play around. So there are a hierarchy of demons. We used this illustration before in Matthew 17, 21. When the, the lunatic and the disciples couldn't cast him out, and Jesus came and cast him out, and the disciples later said, Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, This kind, this type of force, this hierarchy of the enemy uh, won't leave but by prayer and fasting. In other words, he's going to stay there. A good little simple 13 cent prayer is not going to get him out. It's going to take some fasting and prayer in order to relieve individuals from that. And also, hierarchy of angels, archangels placed next to God. Duty is to help God's people in their dire need to deliver messages. Uh, they're the ones that sound the seven trumpets that open the seven seals. And also, we have cherubims. Cherubim was one that God set at the gate of Eden so that Adam and Eve couldn't get back in after they sinned. Amen. Also, there was one upon the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And they have to do with the holiness of God when he's outraged by sin. In other words, a sinner has to have access to God only through sacrifices. And the cherubims are there to see that we accept the living sacrifice of God. And then there are seraphims, which are called burners, and they have to do more or less with you and I today. In other words, they have to do with the uncleanliness of God's people. <laughs> Isn't that a brash, bold statement for me to make, to think that God's people would be unclean? But they are. And you just well admit it, we are, a lot of times. And uh, uh, seraphim is there in order to see that the saint is cleansed before they serve. Ouch. There is not any wonder that our service is not of much value to God because we brazenly walk with dirty feet in the presence of God and try to serve God without being cleansed by His power. Just because He washed us clean once doesn't mean that we are clean all the time. God relies upon the labor of water, in other words, a continual cleansing. And the Bible says, by the washing of the water, by the Word. That's why people don't like the Word a lot of times, because it washes us. Sometimes it scrubs us. It gets behind our ears where we're dirty and on our feet. And we're not good for service. Until we're cleansed. We can't do what God wants us to do until we're cleansed. Even after He forgives us, we pick up defilement in our Christian walk of life. Talks about that in, I think that's in John someplace. I can't remember where it's at when uh, Peter didn't want his feet washed. And finally Jesus just said, 
if I don't wash your feet, you have no part or lot with me. And Peter says, well, said, just wash me all over then. <laughs> and Jesus said, you don't have any need for that. In other words, he's referring to the public bath where they go and they wash and their body is clean. And then as they go to the place where they dress, they pick up some defilement on their feet. And he was alluding to that. And Peter said, or Jesus said, you uh, don't need washing other than your feet. And that's what he's trying to tell us. And the seraphims are there to see that saints are cleansed before their service of any value to God. It doesn't make any difference how much you pray and how much you go on. And what you do, unless you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the washing of the water by your word, uh, the seraphims is going to keep your service from the presence of God. That might come as a shock to us, but we need to understand that it's important for us to stay cleansed by the Word of God. And that simply means some good old washing. You see, the cherubim has to do with the altar. That's a sacrifice. Seraphim has to do with the labor. And the brazen altar and the labor water was in the outer court. And that was before they entered into the holy place. How many of you would like to enter into the holy place? That's through sacrifice and washings. Hallelujah. Continual washing by God's Word. Let the Word of God mean something to you. If it gets on our case, take it and realize God's trying to wash us clean so our service will be of some value to Him as well as the outside Word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I've spent a little time on that. You're still awake. You're still there. Remember, I'm 69 years old today. And I'll have to hold, I'm as old as Paul is today. Amen. So that makes us the oldest, almost the oldest people in here. Almost. All right. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you're here, Brother Peyton. I feel young compared to you. But I don't act as young as you do for some reason. We talked about the thief coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I'm come, do you have life? Now, Satan is a thief, and we went over this before. What does he steal from Christians? He steals our joy. We walk around in the mully rubs and groan and complain. Well, you know where your joy is? Hanging in the house of Satan is a trophy. He's calling us all of the angels around. And he says, here's a child of God, and look what I've got that belongs to him. Look at it, demons. Look and see and rejoice because there's his joy. And then he steals our victory. <laughs> we walk around like we've never known God sometimes, <laughs> like he doesn't care anything about us. And uh, our victory is hanging in Satan's house. It's a trophy there. And he's saying the same thing. Look here. I've got that saint's victory. In other words, you say... Looky there, there's old Ron Oakerson down there, and he's got God all right, but I got his victory. Hanging right up there in my house, it's a trophy, I've got it. And then their power is gone. How many of you know that the power of a holy church is not active as it ought to be? You know where it is? In Satan's house. Because he's telling us we can't do it. He's telling us it was for the ages back then. Or it's for ages up there. Saints, I want to know what about the present. I know there's a past of Pentecost. I know there's a future there. But saints, we're not here just for nothing. 
There is a present for God's people and a presence for God's church. And we need to realize we are that present. So he tells us, God is telling us, go get your possessions back. Don't let him keep your possessions. And the way to do that, he tells us, is find a strong man. Hallelujah. Well, sometimes we don't have much luck in that. And that's the very reason why God does what he did tonight and what he's done on other occasions. Is because for some reason or other, with every ounce of power that we have, we simply don't seem to be able to release ourselves. And God sees our guardian. He sees our problems. He sees we're in trouble. And he sees a heart. Reads inside and says, God, I want to do better. I want to do better. Now, he don't pay any attention to head service. That just says, I wish I could do a little bit better than this. But bless God, I'm glad I'm a Christian. He doesn't pay attention to that. But he does hear inside the groanings of his people. That says, I don't like it here. I don't want to live here any longer. I want a better life than this. And so he comes down with angelic forces and says, I'm here to give it to you if you want it. Hallelujah. But it takes a lot of faith to believe that. As somebody said, I didn't see any angel. And those very same people received the Holy Ghost. I know they didn't see yet. Amen. But they still believe it anyway. It's just as real as the Holy Ghost is. Hallelujah. So we have to bind the strong man. We have to realize that there is a bondage. During the tribulation, we are going through that, you know. Amen. We'll not belabor that point. But there is a spiritual warfare. We need to bind the devil. We need to take back our possessions. And if we think, that we've got it hard now. Let's just wait until Satan is cast out of heaven and this war becomes unbelievably intense. I'm going to show you by Revelations 12, 9. Just let me read it. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent which deceiveth the whole earth, whole world. He was cast out to the earth and his angels was cast out with him. Now listen to what it says. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, you heaven. Now, a good translation that I was reading, and that probably maybe from the original they say, is therefore rejoice ye that dwell in the heavenlies. That would be us. Amen. If we're living a spiritual life, that would be us. Because we are to sit down in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's an invitation. He said we can sit there. And so rejoice ye that dwell in the heavenlies, but woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. In other words, those that don't know anything about the heavenly forces and the heavenly angels of God that don't know anything about them. For the devil has come down into you having great wrath. In other words, he's mad. 
He's mad because God has finally got a people together that believes in Him entirely in everything that He does. And when the dragon saw He was cast into the earth, He persecuted the woman which brought forth a man-child, and to the woman was given two wings of great eagles. She might fly into the wilderness. Now this is another thing, and I'm, I'm not going to deal with that because it's too in-depth. And I want to get to what I want to get to. But I'm going to read it. Where she is nourished for times, times, half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth, waters of flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away in the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth, he was very angry with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here we see Satan coming down to earth, enraged and making war on the woman, and we can see the intensity of the war that continues to increase. Many of us have wrestled evil spirits, and even Satan himself. We already know a little bit about the power of the enemy, and he does have power. Don't ever, don't ever belittle the power of the enemy. Always say, but God has more. But the devil has more power than we do, except we exercise the power of God inside of us. But I'm convinced, in spite of everything we saw, everything that we've underwent, that we haven't seen anything compared to what we will see when the devil comes down with all of his fury unleashed against God's people. A last ditch effort to destroy that which God has suffered, bled, and died for through Jesus Christ. A last ditch effort to wipe them from the face of the earth. This has been going on for centuries. When we read about two witnesses. Now some say that these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. But you need to check your Bible. And who does God call his witness? Amen. In one place. He calls Israel his witnesses in Isaiah 43 and 10, but also in Acts after the church was born, hallelujah, after it come into existence, he simply says, if you receive the Holy Ghost, then you shall be my witnesses. Hallelujah. So that simply means we are his witnesses. And if we're here and some of us are going to be, we're going to be part of this great force that stands against the power of the enemy. You know, I am concerned about the failure of young people to get this message. Because a lot of us, unless Jesus does a quick work, it's not going to face this. But there are young people, saints and parents, young people that's going to be right in the middle of this and except some way we entrench them and encroach this thing in their spirit, they're going to be totally unprepared to do this. And what we thought would have been our trophies in heaven, which is our children, is going to be deluded by the powers of the enemy because they haven't been where they could hear it, and once they were there, they could care less. I'm just going to pastor a little bit for now because I'm trying to tell you something. Amen? I'm trying to tell you that it is important 
that young people, especially teenagers and even others, understand that this last great battle most likely will be upon their shoulders. Some of you will be part of it, and I would like to be. I don't know whether Paul and I can hang around this long or not. We're going to do our best to see what we can do. Sister Wanya, you're as old as we are, so we're going to see if you can hang around too. All right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you think calling fire down from heaven, now they're going to be able to call fire down from heaven, proceeding out of their mouth and devour their enemies. I don't know whether they're going to be like dragons or not, where they open their mouth and regular fire comes out. I doubt that seriously. I think it's symbolic, and I think the word of God is a flame of fire. Hallelujah, I think it's going to be so strong and so powerful that it'll even slay their enemies for the power that comes from our mouths because we know the Word of God, because it's inside of us, because it's the two olive trees, because it's the two candlesticks. It's because whenever they seek to devour and destroy, the power of God is real and abundant and lifts us up and the Word of God is so pure and so holy and it burns. Hallelujah, the Bible says it'll burn. But, you know, fire's been called down from heaven before. To shorten this out, read 2 Kings 1 and 9. And Elijah was calling fire down to kill those that would capture him. But we have to understand the prerequisite of doing this, that Elijah was a man of God. I mean, you can't just decide you're going to snap your finger. You've got to be God's man at God's time doing what God says. Amen. You can't be called by man, and you can't be ordered by man. You have to be God's man, and you have to have your ear tuned into heaven. And when God speaks, you have to speak. And when God is silent, we need to be silent. Amen. A lot of us would assume that if God sent fire two or three times, and God worked this way two or three times, that it's going to work that way all the time. But that's not necessarily so. And we have to be ready to change the course if God is ready to change the course. But in spite of all of this, look at the power they had. Look at the authority they had. And look at the, the idea that they couldn't be killed. Man, that's, that's something to rejoice on, isn't it? But then a little bit later on, the Bible lets us know that we have to not only be willing to live for Jesus, but we have to be willing to die for him. What we have looked at thus far is powerful and it's wonderful. But the two witnesses, after their testimony is finished, the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit, makes war on them, and overcomes them and kills them. That seems strange, isn't it? That God would initiate them with such power and might that they could be slain by the very breath of God in their life. And yet, after they've finished their testimony, after they've said what needed to be said, for a greater glory of God, God allows these individuals to be killed and three bodies lay in the street while the enemy rejoices over them. Now, what's God doing in the meantime? Hallelujah. He is still there. He's still gone. He hasn't relinquished any of his power. Now, I, this may be conjecture on my part, but I think that these witnesses were willing to voluntarily lay down their lives.
so that God could be glorified in a greater way. Hallelujah. So what was God doing? In order to let them see the whole world, what they have laughed at for years, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's impossible. While we preach about the resurrection of the saints of God and it's impossible, He lets them see and ready they're going to see. The Bible says they are. A few years ago this would have been impossible. But now we have television that scans the whole world. And the whole world can be sitting there watching those dead bodies three days and three nights lay there while the powers of hell rejoice. And then God Almighty comes down, reanimates those bodies, and they raise up under the power of the Holy Ghost. And the whole world sees them. That's for the greater glory of God. Hallelujah. Greater glory of God. And we don't understand the greater glory of God. Hallelujah. 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 A great voice from heaven saying to them, Come up hither. Hallelujah. Come up hither. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud. And the Bible says their enemies, those that laughed, those that mocked, those that called the whole kings of all the world to look and see, here's dead bodies of a church that's supposed to be alive. And then when it comes time, God says, that's enough. I want to show my power. I want to show my authority. I want to show my resurrection. And he just whispers to him and says, come on now. It's not time to die. It's time to live. Come on up here. And there they are, a mighty army of God. And they don't just go up there to stay. They come down with him as a mighty army. It's time to take over the world. Hallelujah. If you ever read anything in the Bible, they're going to see that Christians are not going to be able to buy and sell. They're going to be treated as criminals. A lot of them are going to be beheaded because of their faith in Christ. David Wilkerson, one of the more five major calamities David Wilkerson saw coming to America in his book, The Vision, is severe persecution of Christians. You don't have to read his book. Just read the Bible. It'll tell you those things are coming. But we have, in our lifetime, and we are now seeing Christians persecuted in Korea, China, Russia, Hungary, Hungary, Romania, on and on and on you can go. And could I ask you a very simple question? What makes us think that we as Christians in America will be spared? What is so good about us that these individuals would give their life in persecution and yet we've got the audacity to say that when we get into a little problem, God's going to zap us out just like that. And we're going to be free from all that. Wrong, wrong, wrong. God is going to see that He persevere through the power of Almighty God. And we are going to be shining lights and examples for Him. But now listen again. If God does allow persecution to come to Christians in our present world... There will be a definite purpose for it. I was reading in one of the history of the church. In fact, I'm reading two books together. One has the slant of Catholicism. The other has the slant of Protestantism. 
And it talks about two different churches growing up. And that the word of God came through John. And that uh, word was not sent to the Catholic Church. It was sent to the church of Jesus Christ born on the day of Pentecost. That existed and coincided right along with that universal church. I was reading as time began to pass that the history of the monks those that separated themselves and went into these dark places and uh, just separated themselves and lived lives of hermits and the book says the reason they did that was because they was protesting against the failure of the Christian church to stand for the things it ought to stand for in other words, they said you could not tell the difference in that time between a heathen Gentile and those that are supposed to be Christians. And they were protesting that. I thought, God, it hadn't changed much. Amen. You can't tell much difference in our actions and our dress, in what we do and the way we go. You can't tell much difference. There ought to be a protest against that. Amen. Ought to be a protest against that. But one of the things we've got to understand is there has to be. Now, when the church began to do this, it was a time of peace. There wasn't any persecution during those years, and the church began to backslide. The only thing that kept it, the only thing that kept it strong was to realize they needed the power of God in their life to endure whatever came along. But when the world started coming in, and they began to see that they really didn't need God as much as they used to. Amen. We're living in a world of luxury now, saints. Yes, we are. About everything that we want, these hands can get for us, except the peace and joy and the victory of Almighty God has to give us. I don't care how intellectual you get, you'll never receive that. As during these times where there wasn't any persecution, the church began to slip back. Persecution purifies the church deepens the dedication to those that remain true to Christ. Hallelujah. And that's something we need to understand. I believe that Jesus saw not only the persecutions of Christians over the first two centuries, but I think there's been periodic persecutions all the way and will be until the end. Jesus had some strong things to say in relation to this. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Say, that's foreign language in the church anymore, isn't it? You don't hear that very much. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's the way it is. A lot of people trying to carry a cross of Christ has never denied themselves. And the cross is too heavy. You can't carry it without a denial of your own life. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. In other, what, other words, what he's trying to say is this. When persecution comes 
Can you deny him? You have lost your life. You have found it for this world. And you've lost it in the world to come. Then he's saying, if you, if you lose your life in this world, you've found a precious treasure. St. John 12, 24 and 25. Come on, stay with me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn and wheat fall on the ground and die, it biteth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it into life eternal. In other words, we've got to despise this carnal life of ours. When Christ talks about taking up your cross and following him, we forget what he said. We have to remember that the cross was an instrument of torture and execution. And we think it's just a little thing. Oh, I'm skipping my way, bearing my cross. Everything is just fine. We don't understand that this is a torture, symbolic of torture and execution. Execution of what? To old Adam's nature. And it don't like to be there. If, just to make sure that people understood what he's saying. In every case, he goes on to emphasize the fact that we should be willing to die for him in laying down our lives. He's letting us know this. He still loves us. Paul is a good example. He says, Romans 8, 35, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. And then he says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Paul's saying through it all, He'll walk that road with you. Beautiful passage of Scripture to think that if a Christian is dying for the sake of Christ, he can be assured that God is loving him. Hallelujah. And appreciating the sacrifice that he's making out of his life. Now, first off, before we can ever die physically, we have to die spiritually. Amen. And we are not doing that. Amen. As well say amen. We are not doing that. And so the powers of hell would come and climax immediately. And we are called into question. Would we be able to look them in the face and say, I'll not deny him. Not unless long since we have died to our own stubborn human nature that calls and begs and beckons for us. No wonder God is continually talking to us and letting us know in time ahead, Christians, maybe you and I, will be called on to go to jail, to be tortured, or even die for the sake of the faith in Jesus Christ. How many of you know that Christians 
are being targeted now? How many of you are aware of that? I mean, you're really aware of the fact that they're being targeted now. You undergo hardships that if you were a hardened criminal, they would never put you through those things. And can you imagine that it's going to get worse? But in spite of that, God can give us strength at a time like that. Hallelujah. Early Christians' Colosseums sang praise God as they died. Laid down their life for the sake and had a chance to recant and refused to do it. Time draws near. We may want to prayerfully consider memorizing verses of the Bible that will give us comfort. And when we're being persecuted and when we are suffering, I believe with all my heart that in the heat of the battle that the Holy Ghost is going to give us something inside. A verse of Scripture, some power and moving of God, an angel sent to help us battle against the adversary or give us strength to be able to undergo all these things. You notice that the three Hebrew children, when they were called upon to deny and bow down, did you ever notice their passive faith, so to speak? They simply said, we want you to know, King, paraphrasing it, that our God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, but if he doesn't, be you known to your king that we will not bow down to your image. We will not bow down to your image if he chooses not to deliver us, if the flames engulf us, and if we die, we'll die with a praise on our lips, and we will not be kept. My God, since that's what God is asking out of us, let us grow in these things. Let us understand what he's doing for us. Hallelujah. Let's see if we can hurry this up. We're in a battle. We know with eventual outcome, Jesus Christ will win. We know He's going to have a people. But we don't know whether we're going to be that people or not. Most of that depends on Not upon God. And as time draws closer, the powers of hell grow stronger. If we don't recognize there is a force and begin to use it, oh yes, He's there to help us out of every difficulty. He's there to strengthen us in every place we walk. Bible says, for this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. John 1, 4, 4, 1 John 4, 4, you are, the child, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and make us manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. Here Paul is thanking God. Because Jesus leads the way in a triumphal parade. We are more than conquerors to Him. And as the final 
battle of this war begins, something spectacular is going to happen. Hallelujah. We see Jesus. We see our commander in chief appearing. Hallelujah. Revelation says that. I saw the heavens open and the white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. Listen to this. His eyes was a flame of fire. On his head was many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now I think it's this thing that the scriptures teach us that the rapture is going to occur. Hallelujah. We'll be caught up to heaven to meet the Lord in the air. We'll be part of his army. And we're going to follow him back to the earth. And with him we'll see and be a part of a great climatic battle in this warfare. The final one for Jesus Christ is a complete victory. Revelations 19, 15, and 21. Now this mouth goeth a uh, sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, hath on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who can deny that this is Jesus? I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God. In other words, while Christians have been destroyed and slaughtered, and while mankind has laughed and mocked, and while kings and rulers have had their way, now comes a time for God Almighty Himself to come down and destroy the wicked one. Up in there, the soul that comes rolling through Babylon, tearing down the kingdom of this world. Exactly. Oh, you're excited. I lost my dignity there. Hallelujah. But I tell you what, there's something way down deep inside that says even so come, Lord Jesus. Let it happen. Let it happen. Hallelujah. And the beast was taken. Hallelujah. Well, let's just read it all. I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice. Saying to all the fowls that fell in the midst of heaven, you want to have supper? Hallelujah, you're going to eat. You're going to eat good. Because all this, powers of hell, has ruled and reigned all this time, is going to be put asunder. You're going to eat the place of kings. You're going to eat the place of captains. You're going to eat the place of mighty men and the place of horses and those that sat on them and the place of all men, both bond, free, and great. And I saw the beast, the one that caused all his comes, and the king of the earth and their army gathered together to make war against him that sat on his horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. With him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, 
with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped him in his image, those both were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. All the fowls were sealed with their flesh. When this great battle, last one, Armageddon, the final battle is fought, Jesus Christ is the victor. And with this victory, all that is evil going to remove from the earth. Hallelujah. All the castles of the riches is going to go down. All the authority of hell that's ruled and reigned and caused torment of all kinds is going to be put asunder. And all the evil things that come to tear apart and destroy God's people is going to be put asunder and removed from the earth. And Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. And God will have finished plowing up this earth and purifying it and renewing it. And he's achieved all that he set out to do during the tribulation. And Jesus Christ will come back to this renewed earth with his saints and begin that exciting reign of 1,000 years. Thank God where we will reign for 1,000 years with peace and joy and satisfaction. Say, and look back over the times of trouble and trouble and say, thank God I held out until the end. I did not deny. I held his hand and I believed him. And he walked me through it all. And I can look and say, thank God. And it's over. And the victory has been won. And I march into his presence. Thank God. Now you have to be some type of a spiritual fool to believe this. Amen. Amen. Something has to be wrong with you to believe that finally after all these years of Satan's rulership, him dominating almost every facet of our government as well as uh, from the highest level down to the lowest. People have forgotten the commandments of God and forgotten what we're here for. Forgotten a nation that was separated by God. Forgotten the wings of a great eagle that brought us in places in the wilderness and said, you're my witnesses and you're supposed to witness to me. We have forgotten that our laws were spiritual laws that Moses handed down to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And we got those laws out of the Bible. England got them. We got them from England. And we put our nation on that. And we've forgotten that. Pure laws, holy laws. Laws that would make God not ashamed of our nation. I saw a sign on the billboard. I'm sure you saw it. Save the whales but kill our babies. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense to our world now. Thousands are slaughtered. And I want to ask you a question and I want to be mean to you. How... Often, when we lay down on our bed to go to sleep or when we're in our prayer closet, how often do we ask God to do something about this law that causes thousands of innocent babies to be slaughtered? Do we really take this to heart? Probably not until it enters into our own home close to us. And yet it is happening and it's destroying.
They talk about Social Security going bankrupt. Well, it probably will be because we've got a missing generation here someplace that'll never be able to pay into it. From the time this started, and I'm going to get through in a minute, just hold with me. From the time this started, we've got a generation of missing individuals that have been slaughtered from the mother's womb. And you would be surprised how slick the enemy is. I have had, I don't know how many cases of people and my own son was almost, or they tried to make him and Mindy a victim of that. That did a test. And said, this child most likely will be deformed or mentally retarded, and it'd be best if you would avoid it. Dan and Mindy said, whatever God gives us, we'll take and you've seen the little boy as normal, probably more normal, and as mean as Gar. Hey, man, nothing wrong with him at all. That would have been one baby that wouldn't exist if they had listened to intellectual man. That's the threshold. It's not the only one I've talked to. And you probably talked to others too. That says, why don't you just get it aboard him? There'll be something wrong with it. And they tell this a lot to young people. Have problems with drugs, alcohol, something that might destroy the brain cells, and what have you. It'll not be a normal baby. Just avoid it. Also, it's just, there's nothing any more normal than a baby. And if God gives us one that is deformed in some way, it'll be a blessing to us. You ought to read Dale Evans' book on hers, what an angel God sent to her and how it changed their lives. Dear God, help us to realize that our nation is allowing innocents to be slaughtered by the thousands, and the church hardly loses a voice against it. Sixty-four percent a little better than that. And I'm not in politics of the Republican Party stood on the side of non-abortion. That was going to be a platform and an issue. Something's happened. Only 45% now want that done. You tell me there isn't some sinister force someplace that's bombarded and came down in our midst and perverting the minds and lives of people and our leaders don't know how to pray and if they get some good solid something on there for the sake of that which squeaks the last. My prayer is this. God, if they're not going to stand, give them out. They don't need to be in. We're in a world that there's a battle. Up there, up there, the angels of God are battling right now. When you walk out from here, it's set in the mind of the enemy to do whatever he can to take everything that's been said out of your mind and everything that's been done out of your mind, and if he can't get out of your mind, he'll make you doubt it. 
of an angel and with the word of God. I challenge to every one of us. Friend, if it dies here, it's not what God wants. We need to tell others. We need to sit down in our home. We need to gather our children, our grandchildren, that they're present or able. And we need to tell them that they're going to be living in such a day as this. And except we find out where God is in our lives. And if we should pass on and sleep in the grave, there's every chance in the world that we'll never see our children again. Amen, brother Oscar. Father, thank you. I don't guess we can thank you enough. I don't think there's words in the English language to express how we feel about you tonight and what you've done. I pray, God, you'd sink it deep within our spirit and within our heart and make us realize that whatever comes or whatever goes, we will hold fast to your unchanging hand. We will not deny you. We will believe you. And if we do, we'll stand that day with our eyes glued toward heaven and see our commander-in-chief break through the clouds. And it's then we'll feel the gravity loose from our feet. We will rise to meet him. And we'll come down and fight with him that last great battle. The earth will be cleansed. Hallelujah. No more evil. It's all over. Hallelujah. God, might we hold true to you in these things. In Jesus' name, walk with us to a us. Care for us. Talk to us at a lonely hour. And let us hear that still, small voice when we can't hear anything else. Let us hear that. That says, Lo, I'm with you always, even after the end. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.